0: Welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and
1: Justin. Whoa,
0: it's a different person this time. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Heather is on vacation for this episode uh, and I'm here with my old friend, Justin.
1: I'm the old friend. Hello.
0: Yes. (laughs) And actually, if if you're a longtime listener to this show... Uh, you've actually heard Justin before. Justin, you were on our Evil Dead episode.
1: It seems like a lifetime ago. I feel like so much has happened. Yeah. In like yeah. all of our lives in the world.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I'd kind of rather forget that episode too because oh audio, yeah, there was like a whole problem with the audio, and it was kind of an embarrassment to not not to Justin at all, just <laughs> completely to me because I. Totally fucked up the recording.
1: That still was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it was. And we've been looking for an opportunity to, to do that again. And uh, here here we are. So um, Justin actually chose today's movie. So I guess another an apology is in order because at the end of the last episode, I said we were going to do Sleepy Hollow next time. Uh, that will be coming up. That will be the next episode with Heather. Um, but for today, we are doing a movie that Justin is a fan of called Mom and Dad. Uh, so I guess I'll say the basic facts and then, Justin, you want to attempt the plot summary?
1: I'll try. Yeah, I mean, it's not too complicated.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think I remember any of the characters' names, so that would be the problem for me. But, <laughs> um, uh, okay, so Mom and Dad was released in 2017. It was written and directed by Brian Taylor. It stars Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair, and has a musical score by someone just called Mr. Bill, according to Wikipedia. And I didn't, we're recording this right after watching it, so I didn't do any research. So I wish I knew a little more about who Mr. Bill is, because I thought the, the music choices here were pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, that's, That's all I have to say about the basic facts. Justin, you want to let our listeners know basically what happens in the motion picture?
1: I mean, to sum it up, it seems like there is the dad, which is Nicolas Cage. I guess he plays Brent. Uh, There's the mom, Selma Blair, and she's Kendall. They have two kids, um, Carly and Josh. Uh, They basically are living this, you know, suburban pretty i guess mundane uh, existence and i think the movie kind of plays with that a little bit um and then suddenly basically parents are inexplicably there's like a tv something happens that switches on the tv or the radio or, or it seems like any kind of, kind of device and it sort of activates parents to kill their kids that's the basic premise um and the sort of film winds around that. Um, and it's it's definitely like a horror comedy. Um, but it's pretty wild and pretty fun, but also kind of just like a dark film and sort of plays with that idea of parents are supposed to be protecting their kids, right? It's sort of like that age-old uh, instinct that is being totally subverted. Kind of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they mentioned that in the film at one point on the news that people are talking about how you have an um, a inbuilt instinct to protect your kids, that you'll do anything to protect them, and what if you could just reverse that instinct so that it does the opposite thing. I got a lot of vibes of like uh, The Birds or Night of the Living Dead where there's just like this calamitous thing that happens and the movie doesn't even try to provide any explanation for it
1: yeah i I read a lot of reviews that kind of um talk about that in the sense that like it, it doesn't even attempt there's never any reference to it um even at the end where a lot of movies will kind of be lame like i'm thinking of Well, it's not really at the end, but something like Cabin in the Woods, right? Where there's like someone behind the scenes that's like manipulating it or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. It's literally just like, this is happening. And if you buy into that, I think that, you know, you're going to have a good time with this movie. But if you can't get past that fact, then it's kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you're kind of continually waiting for the story to kind of widen out and for us to figure out, like, what's really causing this, and then at the end they solve it, um, no, that's not where it's going. But I personally, I really prefer that kind of story. Um, I mean, this kind of story to the kind of story where it does that. Like, I'm thinking of another fairly recent horror movie that I saw called A Quiet Place. Did you see that one?
1: is yeah it's that's
0: jim from the office
1: yeah and his his real life wife right yeah yeah i saw that
0: so i don't think that's a terrible movie but one thing i didn't like was the it did that at the end right where they figure out the solution to the problem of these alien monsters that you have to be silent in order for them to not eat you and it turns out to be this fairly simple thing that it seems like probably all of humanity working together would have found this before now somebody um yeah and uh and i don't know i just i don't feel like the film really needs that uh and uh but yeah i do think it's like it's neat that this movie takes this this premise of something horrible some horrible disaster going on um, you know, suddenly happening randomly, and the characters just have to deal with it. And they've invented a really interesting version of that. Whereas it seems like, like there were there were some early attempts at this kind of story in the horror genre, like The Birds and like The Last Man on Earth, where it's like a vampire takeover of the world. And then George A. Romero did Night of the Living Dead. And then it seems like ever since then, everybody's been like, oh, cool. Yeah, we'll just do that again. And there's been like eight billion zombie apocalypse movies, which all kind of have that same formula where it's like zombies are suddenly attacking. There's no explanation, but the group of characters have to try to survive. Um, and not a lot of people have been working on, well, okay, there some more interesting thing that we can do other than have dead people come back to life and start attacking people and this is a pretty interesting idea that the people you love most which i guess is pretty similar to zombies too right because zombies they come back and they're often people that you knew when they were alive and so there is this similar thing of people you love trying to kill you and you have to kill them but this like just makes it all the more horrible and visceral because they're still themselves other than the fact that they want to kill you they're not mindless
1: yeah and i think like some of the best acting and the best i don't know maybe even dialogue happen when they kind of break from their insanity and they're just like dealing with their midlife crises and like their marriage like i think it's so interesting how like the nick cage and selma Blair characters like are working through stuff in their marriage through killing their kids Mm. or attempting to kill their kids. I mean, that's what it kind of seems like, right?
0: Yeah, so we get this flashback about halfway through the movie where uh, Nicolas Cage has been building a uh, pool table in the basement. He's basically been building a man cave, but he's telling himself that it's a family room. And he kind of has like a mental breakdown when his wife makes him realize that what he's doing is this very typical midlife crisis uh, dad thing, and he just doesn't want to think of himself as an older guy who's tied down with a family who did, whose life didn't go where he wanted it to go. And we yeah, so we sort of see in that scene the that their marriage is is not really working anymore and that neither of them is content and we see that throughout the film with with the family life that they've built for themselves so um yeah i I definitely can see that in the last third of the film once the two parents get together they start working together to kill the kids and at first it's more um how would you say it's more like Oh, that's what you want to do. That's stupid. You know, like they're kind of still combative, not, they're not on the same page, but then they eventually become more like mutually supportive. And Nick Cage is like, Oh, I love this idea. You know, I love you. That kind of stuff. (laughs) Like good job, honey. Yeah. Like
1: while she gets a, you know, good idea to kill the kids. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just think it's hilarious. Like, um, I do think it like one of the weird logical kind of inconsistencies is like like you said they they seem to only want they're they're normal except that they want to kill their kids, mm-hmm. but then it seems like they're not horror and then there's that scene where she's horrified that her sister wants to kill her newborn baby, mm-hmm. but then she doesn't care at all like when other people are killing their kids.
0: Like uh, the neighbor?
1: Yeah, like like their um, housekeeper's daughter or whatever. Oh, right, yeah. They they didn't care at all. They're like, oh, that's what that mess came from or whatever the hell they said. And so that kind of made me like, I don't know. They're willing to kill people that are in their way, Mm -hmm. but not kill people that are not directly involved in them like I don't know I guess that's just a minor thing but maybe I'm overthinking it obviously
0: yeah I think maybe because this is so similar to a zombie movie in the setup and zombie movies are kind of famous for having like a set of rules that the zombies rigidly obey um, we're kind of primed to expect that kind of information here like there, there is going to be some kind of set of rules that dictates the way the evil parents will behave um, and so yeah, I, I kind of had a moment like that, too, where I was like, hmm, where um, they're about to kill the kids and the doorbell rings and they just stop and, like, go to answer the door. And it's yeah. like, well, it seemed like they were willing to ignore, like, much more like pain. things, like yeah, exactly. getting shot. Like, yeah. instead of rushing to the hospital, they're going to continue to try to kill their kids. But they, but well, they do have to answer the door. Like, why, why that? Yeah. Um, but I, I forgave it, though, because the what happens next is that their parents, the <laughs> grandparents, show up and start trying to kill them. So then they're having to fend off the grandparents while also trying to kill their own kids. Um, and that whole complication of the situation was really funny and and fresh and cool. So it's OK.
1: Exactly. Like, you kind of forget, but then it's it's kind of like a weird... I like that they did that, right? Like everyone from infant babies to elderly, uh, you know, parents or whatever are all out there doing what they can.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's just occurring to me that for those of our listeners who haven't seen this film we might kind of come off as a couple of psychopaths uh, throughout this whole conversation to this point. Cause we're, we're talking about how like fun and cool and amusing all of this stuff is, but really it just, when you say it, it sounds just completely horrifying. So what is it about like, how is this a horror comedy and how is it that the film lets us not take this as seriously?
1: I mean, you know, I, I read through a bunch of reviews with in this and there are people that thought that this was like, you know, a a sort of like snuff film-esque or something, you know, like people getting off on kids getting killed. Like I So some I,
0: people really were upset by it.
1: I mean I guess so. Um the idea of killing kids uh, as well as infants that are just born. Um, you know, the movie had a pretty startling scene with all the newborn babies, you know, that kind of iconic in their little, uh, in that waiting room. I don't know what the hell you call that thing, you know, where newborn babies go to chill. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the dads are on the outside window. Um, just staring like obsessively getting, you know, and we kind of know that they're kind of getting ready to kill their kids and stuff, or they want to anyway. Um,
0: It's one of several scenes where it's really clever the way the film recontextualizes what appears to be sort of normal parental behavior. Like it's, it reminded me of the scene earlier on where all the parents are um, up against the fences trying to get their kids out of school um and that's the kind of thing that you really would see if there was like a bomb threat at the school or there, there was something dangerous happening the parents would all be there saying you know where's my son i would need to get him away from here um and then yeah like you do see parents kind of looking in through the window like that at the newborn babies in a hospital um but it's just for a very different reason than the reason that we know is is going on in the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess back to your original question on what makes it a horror comedy. I mean, I think a lot of it is that even when they're killing their kids, there's just sort of this hilarity going on. Um, Nicolas Cage, I think, is kind of in his element as just. I feel like he's crazy, even when he's not trying to kill his kids. Right? He plays this kind of crazed guy, and we see him screaming into you know nothingness or whatever he's doing. Um,
0: and we get we get a good twenty minutes to establish a comedy tone before the craziness starts too. Where we just we're just seeing their home life, and we're seeing the kids going to school, and there's like a lot of pretty funny jokes going on with like we're we're seeing how the parents the older generation kind of like appropriate the youth lingo like the moms uh friend that she does yoga with is saying um uh peace out yo i think she says at one point you know there's stuff like that so it's like it kind of gets you into this mindset of a comedy um, and then I think it's pretty important too, that when the violence does start, there's nothing really horrible happening on screen. It's It's all left to your imagination. We always cut away before we see anything really gory. It is a fairly violent film, but the really all of the like horrific violence that happens on screen happens to, I would say, either the parents or to, the uh, boyfriend character
1: yeah um the i've heard people talk about the clothes hanger thing Mm -hmm. as being like a pretty (laughs) tough to watch i guess scene where he gets he gets
0: stabbed through the cheek with a clothes hanger
1: yeah and i mean that's i guess pretty graphic but Um, yeah, most of it is cut away. There are some kind of harsh parts, um, but nothing, it's not like a torture film or something. You know what I mean? It's not like a hostile or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I think crucially, we don't actually see any children getting killed.
1: Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, they, it's still, it's basically just suggested. Yeah. With,
0: with the exception of the boyfriend character. I mean, he's, he's a little older. He's a teenager, Right, but I do think it's like it's a little it's a little weird that they went with like, you know, having him be the one black character and he's the one who really takes the abuse in the film.
1: Yeah. Um, and he how he kind of has the sort of stereotypical. um kind of abusive drunk father as an african-american dad or whatever Mm -hmm. um some of those are pretty problematic and then what the one asian character is like very um sort of stereotypical
0: sure yeah she has the sort of like accent hollywood asian accent where she mixes up her r's and l's and stuff
1: right um which
0: i mean i i don't know i say hollywood asian i mean there are there are real asian accents that are like that but it's very sort of pronounced.
1: Well, when they're the only people of color in the entire movie, and they're both kind of stereotypes in some sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're in stereotypical like social positions, but also like how they function in the plot as as kind of like more disposable than the main characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's complicated. The 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 boyfriend is like i guess pretty intelligent because he's going to uh what is he in the sats or something or mm-hmm. and he yeah, like he, he crushed it or what he did really well and finished early or something
0: yeah i mean we are rooting for him yeah but
1: he does survive some stuff that probably is like not possible but i'm glad he did i guess
0: yeah, he's he even survives like the second time that he gets like <laughs> yeah,
1: horribly down the stairs. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, like lands on his back or uh, for sure. I don't think he would survive that. But I think that's the other part of the that adds to the dark comedy is the amount of abuse people are taking, and they kind of just keep going, you know, mm-hmm. like um, especially at the end when nick cage's dad shows up and he must stab him what 10 (laughs) 15 times
0: yeah yeah (laughs) i thought it was pretty funny that he doesn't bleed out after that
1: right yeah and then we see him tied up at the end and um i guess he's fine i don't know yeah he'd be dead but yeah he also survives an explosion and um other shit too
0: yeah, so the violence kind of is on the slapstick side for, for some of it. It has that sort of Evil Dead vibe to it.
1: Yeah, and like it, to me, it reminded me of that. Or um, like kind of like a Kill Billish, you know, a little bit. Like it's just kind of over the top and nobody actually... It, it doesn't like hinder them to get totally incapacitated or whatever. Hit with a hammer, hit with this or that shot Mm -hmm. they just kind of brush it off or whatever um and keep going but i think that mixed with just the dialogue and the sort of breaking the ins you know the sort of insanity that's happening with you know funny breaks to normality sort of also lends to that sort of dark comedy or horror comedy versus just a horror film you know
0: Yeah. I thought it was cool, though, how we kind of see some ways in which parents resent their kids. Like the the movie, I I don't think it hits us over the head with this too much, but there's like a clear, I guess, um, subtext to this whole scenario, right? Where um, the parents resent the children essentially for stealing their youth, like because these kids are alive and as old as they are it means that i'm now as old as my dad was you know what i mean like you don't you don't want to think of yourself as that age
1: right there's a lot of references to that i mean it seems like that that's where their that's where their midlife crisis is kind of deriving from right like sort of looking at their kids and seeing what they were capable of or what they dreamed of and um, I think that's a very especially American sort of societal way to view things right like Mm. some people like living through your kid type of thing like you a lot of parents want them to be better than you know whatever you were you want your kid to be better than that or you know I live this life and I want you to you go further than me type of thing
0: but they but that doesn't really seem to be what's going on here though like they're not putting all kind of kinds of pressure on their kids no
1: I just mean like being unhappy with you know being sort of well off being in this sort of suburban environment like I don't know. I I guess I just think like the idea of of never having enough, never being happy with where you're at.
0: Yeah. And definitely the idea that suburbia has, it's placid on the outside and, and seems like this idyllic world, but there's something dark underneath is like this running theme throughout American cinema. You could see it in, you know, blue velvet and, you know, like a million, movies and shows like that's a really common thing
1: yeah i mean i thought that's that's another thing i just thought was kind of interesting with this film is like like you said it doesn't hit you over the head and like there's really nothing in in this film i feel like that hits you over the head with like a metaphor or trying to critique american society or um parenthood or anything like that like there's nothing to me that's like I don't know. Like there's no bigger message to me. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't have like a moral at the end, but I did think that there was one part where I felt like, okay, they could have dialed this back a little bit um, as, as, as far as being a little too on the nose Um, in the uh, flashback scene where they're in the basement. I was cool with everything until they start kind of like doing like full monologues. (laughs) you know where they explain oh i you know uh i just think about what i was like back then and everything i wanted to do and blah 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 you know it it got to be a little unrealistic you know a little too much of like this is what i'm feeling as opposed to you know showing us through their actions how they feel
1: yeah are you talking about like the whole pool scene where he destroyed it
0: Yeah, like I thought the the freak out where he, you know, smashes the pool table with the uh, hammer was cool. Um, And, of course, you have to have something like that if you're going to have Nicolas Cage in your movie. (laughs) You have to give him a chance to totally flip out for at least one scene. While
1: singing the – what did he sing? Hokey Pokey? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So,
0: yeah, I mean, people are going to get a refund on their ticket if they – watch the whole movie and nick cage doesn't flip out at some point um i mean yeah the stuff the the stuff where they get it's a little too talky at the end of that scene and i just i kind of don't like it when characters have like an unrealistic amount of insight into their own personality and their own stuff you know what i mean like normal people are are pretty They tend to, you know, know what they want, but not what they need kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't really have that deep insight into their own psychology.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of the flashbacks are weird. Like it's, there's too many of them and some Mm. of them don't really go anywhere. Like, like it'll, sometimes I feel like it kind of broke the scene a little bit. Like, uh, i don't know there's one at the end where the mom breaks into the 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 room and there's the mirror and all that oh yeah and i'm just like we get it you love your kids but you're now you're trying to kill them like
0: that's true yeah that that flashback really had no purpose there were some points where i thought they did a good job of setting something up and then paying it off later um and then there were others where I wish there was more of a setup, but maybe I'm just dumb and I should rewatch it and I'll see where they did set something up. But an example of each one is I liked how, um, they introduced the little truck toy that the kid has, uh, in one of the first scenes and he's, the dad is playing with it with him. And then at the end of the scene, he like kicks it out of the way because you know we don't have the dialogue yet about how the kid always leaves things around but like that one shot of him kicking it out of the footpath plants that idea right that there are toys all over the floor in this house right and then at a crucial moment later in the film maybe 20 minutes later um the dad's trying to catch them and that's the thing that that saves them as he slips on the same truck toy and uh, knocks himself out yeah um, and then they kind of go back for one more thing where in the flashback that follows we see you know at one point he complains like one of these days i'm going to trip on one of those toys and it'll send me to the er and so it's kind of like well that would be a setup if you had had this in chronological order but um it's just kind of like a little i guess, wink towards aha yes we know that that is going to happen um but a thing that i thought they could have set up better was um the daughter has like a little trap that she sets up that causes an explosion when the parents open the door um and where it's a bunch of matches and there's a little, a little contraption where when the door opens, the friction from the door will light the matches and then the gas inside will combust and it blows the parents away. And I wish they had somehow set up, you know, like maybe the class that she's in is a chemistry class. And you know you know what I mean? Like somehow, yeah. why, why does she know how to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, especially in the fact that we have... Everything we've seen of her, she's kind of like a bratty, annoying uh zoomer or whatever, you know, like on her phone, doesn't give a shit, stealing from her mom or whatever, like we're we're not really led to think that she's very capable. Um mm. but she definitely becomes the most capable, right? She saves her brother basically, sets up that trap, you know, goes through the uh vent or i don't know what the hell that that was
0: yeah i kind of got a little lost as far as like how they escaped the basement somehow they end up upstairs
1: they go to where the water heater is and she like takes a panel off the ceiling and they climb up okay. and then end up upstairs i don't know what kind of house this is but uh yeah that happens Um, (laughs) yeah,
0: I wouldn't say that we we that we get the sense that she's incompetent or stupid in the early part of the film. Like she's she's kind of a she's a bad kid. Right. But she's doing things that take some amount of cleverness. She stole the money from her mom. She's, you know, sneakily texting in class. So that's kind of setting her up to be somebody who can do sneaky things and play these kinds of, you know, set up traps and stuff. So I think that's fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I just, I don't know. Like, I just agree with you in the sense that for all of the flashbacks that they did do, you know, with the the dad um, having the popsicle with the kid or whatever. um, Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what else there was.
0: Yeah, you know, the flashback too, they spent so much time talking about that car and then the car is involved in the action, but it doesn't matter that it's that car. Like nobody remarks on that. I was expecting then when we came back to them in the car, the dad is about to swing the hammer into the car and he would go, oh, wait, no, you know, I can't. I told my dad I would never mess up. the. You know what I mean? Like yeah. somehow the what we learned during the flashback about the car would then come into play in the the main action, but it, it didn't.
1: Well um,
0: es- so yeah, I guess I agree.
1: Especially the it was his dad's car, right? That he loved mm-hmm. and polished every day or whatever. So you would think neither of them would want to I don't know. I feel like it could have been a cool scene where like the the little boy was like threatening to destroy the car or something. And yeah. and then they're both like they both stop killing each other, and they're like, no, or something. I don't know. Like yeah, it no, just, I
0: definitely expected something like that to happen. Yeah, it
1: would have fit with the comedy, but also just everything that's happening. But
0: yeah, and just kind of like storytelling rules, right? Like you don't set something up for no reason.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like it. I guess I forgot to ask you though to mention um to listeners that kenny said that he would never watch a nick cage film ever but you broke your rule for this film of all films that's true i mean first of all i want to know what's the origin of you never watching nick cage i mean other than the obvious um guess you're not a wicker man fan or something i don't know but what's the origin of that and why why'd you choose to to watch him finally
0: well, so I just um, when I from when I was like a teenager, I think what it was was um, in my history class when I was in high school, they made us watch National Treasure.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Uh, and that movie is so god awful. And I just found Nicolas Cage's performance particularly grating <laughs> where he says, like, I'm not a treasure hunter. I'm a treasure protector. Um, I, that, that line stuck in my brain. Like his, his whole shtick did not appeal to me. And, uh, you know, maybe I'd seen him in a couple other things and he just rubbed me the wrong way. And so I just said, no, I'm not, I'm not watching anything with Nick Cage in it. And then like over the last like 20 years, uh, I feel like his, maybe he, he probably among film people probably even then he had some cachet because he was already i think at that time in movies like he's been in like stuff by the coen brothers and i feel like he was in a david lynch film so he already had been in some artsy stuff that film snob people would have said oh yeah nick cage is actually a serious actor back then but i was not such a person at that time uh and um Anyway, in the time since then, I feel like his his uh, uh, place in the culture has only continued to grow, and I hear about him more and more, and so it becomes harder and harder to stick with my vow to not watch him, um, especially you know, with my interest in the horror genre. He's been in a couple things uh, that are pretty big time. I guess the biggest one is a film called Mandy that came out a few years ago and I just heard a lot of buzz about that and kind of wanted to see it. I didn't get around to seeing it, but you know, now that I've busted my <laughs> Nick cage, cherry, maybe I will. I'll go and watch that one too. Um, I, I I don't think he's as bad as I, as I thought he's still not my favorite actor, but I can see what other people see in him. you know? And, and that's the thing is I keep hearing more and more people who really like Nicholas cage Um, and they like that he gets so manic and he goes so over the top. And with other actors, I do enjoy that kind of thing. So I feel like I ought to give him another chance.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think in a film like uh, this one, that sort of, you know, he can kind of come into his own. Like, it kind of fits anyway, right? It's like I said I felt like when he was not trying to kill his kids, he was already pretty erratic and, you know, I don't want to say crazy, but you know, unstable.
0: I guess I, I, I did like that. We, um, uh, we got some like endearing, dadly behavior from him in the first scene where, uh, he's playing with his son with the, truck and it's a like it's a pretty morbid thing right they're hearing on the news about uh mother who uh, or I, I forget the details but it's like a parent ran over their own child with their no it's car. it's
1: the starting scene where she leaves the kid in the the car seat and the train it's like oh. it's like the very opening scene i think that they're okay. that they're referencing Oh, yeah, by the I way, must, that's I'm, that's how the movie starts.
0: You I s- might have, like, not... So we watched this over Zoom, and I might I might have missed that bit.
1: Oh. Well, it's, like, the very starting scene. There's a mom, and she has a baby in the backseat, and she leaves it on the train tracks and then just walks away as a train's coming. I see. And then it cuts to, I don't know, the start of the movie or whatever.
0: Yeah, so... Anyway, he's like uh, acting out that scene with the truck and a little action figure like, no, no, no. And then he like uh, pours ketchup over the the action figure to represent the blood. Um, and I thought that was like, you know, that was a cute moment between him and his son. We see that like they genuinely like each other and, and get along.
1: Yeah, um, and I think throughout the film, there's, he likes his son a lot uh we we can see other instances where they're bonding um and where he kind of tries to teach him life lessons or whatever and then the the password or whatever on his gun thing is the his son's birthday mm-hmm. so
0: yeah so so I kind of that's what made me like Nicolas Cage a little more in this movie was I felt like he was believable as a as a caring dad in in those moments, even at the same time that he is being kind of manic and zany. So speaking of the parents, the grandparents coming into the picture late into the movie, um, it was cool to see Lance Henriksen. That was a a pleasant surprise. He's a kind of a horror movie icon, you know, a minor star of the genre. So it's always good if you're making a horror movie like a small smaller movie nowadays to do that you know get somebody like uh you're next which we've done on this podcast has uh, barbara crampton in it you know if you can get somebody who's from the old times you know who's been in some awesome stuff that every horror fan knows and get them into a bit part in your movie that's always cool and he he, uh it's a it's a funny character too um that um nicholas cage i think calls him a dinosaur and he says
1: dinosaur i fought in fucking wars and shit (laughs) yeah he's like what did you do (laughs) um and that 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 also continues that whole kind of resentment thing too you know that he he didn't turn out like his son didn't turn out like he wanted him to or something um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's another, the the other weird thing, uh, talking about the grandparents, is the mom and the wife, uh, I guess, hate each other, and they don't need any reason to just kill each other? (laughs) And I thought that kind of played into, like, um, mother-in-laws and, I don't know, stealing stealing their sons away or something like that, right? I mean, it didn't, the movie didn't really talk about that. But in my mind, I was thinking about that. There's always that sort of um kind of cliche uh, that your son's wives or girlfriend or whatever are kind of taking them from you. Mm-hmm. Though the movie didn't really go play with that at all. But in my mind, I kind of thought that um that's kind of a trope sometimes yeah and i
0: think there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie where i think the movie is definitely deliberately um showing us all of these like very stereotypical cliched uh, things that you see in a hollywood movie about a suburban family especially a comedy right like the the parents who are fighting is like that the the rivalry between the the mother-in-law and the wife Um, and uh, it's kind of like yeah just taking all of these same things and putting them into this crazy situation kind of reminds me too of um, Krampus did you see that one
1: I've never seen it but I mean I kind of know of it but
0: yeah it's it's a similar thing
1: is it like Christmas cliches or something?
0: Yeah, it's like a um, Christmas family comedy kind of thing, like a, uh, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation, you know, that kind of thing, only it's a horror movie at the same time. <laughs> um, and yeah, I feel like this one is like that too. And and they sort of, they play with it, right? So like at the end, we end up with... Um, the parents tied up in the basement It made me think of like uh, something like the parent trap uh, where the children have to f- sort of scheme and and get the parents get back together by putting them in some kind of crazy situation. And that's kind of what hap- has happened in the film, as we talked about earlier on, right? Like the parents begin at odds with each other and they sort of bond over this, um, you know, their, their shared passion for murdering their children and um, so that's yeah it's like something that is very familiar and that you've seen a million times but it makes it funny when it's you know uh in this new horrible context
1: yeah and that that's also the same moment where the daughter finally kind of says oh I, I love you too mom or like because we we had seen earlier in the film they had had tension and the daughter was kind of rude to the mom and said you have no life and you know was kind of just like fuck you you're old get out of here type of you know like a typical teenager Mm -hmm. but yeah
0: so that's that's like the exact arc that we would see in in like a non-horror version of this movie right they would start off at at that point and then they would end up with the you know, repeating the other person's line to them. And, Oh, now I see how you were feeling and blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. I mean, she directly does that, right? She's like, I want to let, I want to trust you, but I can't, or I I can't remember the exact thing, but
0: you're making it really
1: hard. Yeah. And then the movie ends basically. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. And it's kind of fun that the movie ends there with no resolution to the actual situation But just because it seems like to me it ends at that point because this is sort of we've reached the end of where a normal suburban family comedy would end, (laughs) you know, we've had that moment, that catharsis of uh, that we just talked about. And so now it's all fine, even though in this world it actually isn't. The parents are still like wanting to kill the kids.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean that's what I was just going to mention is I think that's a big thing that comes out in the in the film is is sort of like this um destruction and sort of venting and uh violence I guess is uh, cathartic for everyone it seems uh or at least it lets out some real feelings
0: (laughs) yeah yeah like we see that in the flashback where he like destroys the pool table with the hammer right i think that's showing us that there's all this rage boiling under the surface of these characters so this is just like a um yeah this is them letting that all out
1: do what do you think about the fact that it's televisions that are causing all of this? Do you think they're trying to make any point with that?
0: Um I don't know. What I, I we do get some scenes where yeah, the movie kind of focuses us on like the white noise on the television screen and that's the moment where somebody seems to go after their kids. So I think it, there is like some, to some degree, an implication that that is causative, but I I think it's left ambiguous. We also hear on the news, they're speculating that it could be like a um, engineered virus, like a terrorist attack. Terrorists have figured out a way to get something into the water or something that, um, that makes people do this.
1: Combined with uh, the TV or that's the trigger or something or whatever is happening.
0: The film is kind of interested in uh, how like people of different ages relate to media. Like the kids are always on their phone and like, um, that's one thing I really liked about the early part of this movie is that it's like just I don't know. I just like that it's set in the present day and it doesn't uh, sort of pretend as if it's not. Because I see so many movies that they either will set it in the past, you know, like it's really popular to set your movie in the 80s or even the 90s rather than in the present day. I think partly because, you know, everybody having a cell phone at all times really makes it hard to tell a story uh, and have it be cinematic because so much of what people would actually do in a situation is be on their phone and talking to other people on their phone and etc and that's not really something you want to show in a movie just somebody sitting there texting or going on google or whatever um especially or if, uh, it, horror if it film. is set in if it's set in modern day they'll just like kind of gloss over that fact and not you know, like this movie had, a, they'd, they'd, they thought about that, right? Like they figured out a way to kind of show, have us have the um, text messages be showing up on the screen so that we can be seeing like how the daughter is having a conversation with her mom and a different one with her friend on her phone at the same time. Um, so I thought that was cool. Um, but there's not really anything else with the TV. It's not like everybody's, it's not like the movie's saying, oh, we spend all our time sitting in front of the TV or anything like that, you know, which is outdated anyway um uh so yeah i don't know i guess i don't buy that this is saying anything about that
1: yeah i mean it it just shows that the the tv is the cause but it's not well i don't know i guess i guess i looked at it a little bit differently in the sense that like old people are more likely to watch tv and young people are more likely to get their stuff from devices
0: that's true, but the daughter does, like, the first thing she does when she gets to her friend's house is turn on the TV and watch on the news what's happening.
1: Yeah. I mean, is that what you would do in some kind of thing? Panic?
0: Um. Or would you check no, your I would f- probably go on the internet. Yeah.
1: I mean, me too. And so I think that's, and we're obviously a lot, well, I don't know about a lot, but we're definitely older than those kids. <laughs> um then my first instinct would be my phone or the computer uh, rather than the TV. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm looking for, like, I, I do this sometimes where I try to, like, <laughs> I try to make it, like, smarter than it is or something. But, I mean, you're right. There's just no real, they don't really give us any reason why, you know, they're not trying to say that, you know, kill your TV or whatever.
0: As much as I was happy early on that they found a way to integrate the cell phones and everything into the story, they really completely drop that once like shit hits the fan, right? Like you would expect that the daughter would be on her phone calling 911 and, you know, finding out, looking up maybe that trap that she sets for the parents. She could find a way to do that on her phone. Like Why doesn't she, why don't we ever see anything with the phone after that point?
1: yeah and i mean i think that's a hundred percent like you said earlier a lot of newer films just you know pretend that smartphones don't exist or whatever uh because then they have to deal with the fact that you know like 99 percent of problems can be i don't know i don't want to say solved but you know you can try to find solutions that way um and then they have to come up with some bullshit like oh cell phone towers are down or you know whatever
0: yeah, you never have a signal on a hormone. Yeah, movie. oh
1: there's no signal. Um, but yeah, you're right. They just they just completely we know that she's obviously adept with her phone. Uh we know that anyone of that age would you know, that would be their first thing they would do. And I think they could have easily just been like, you know, call and no one picks up, you know? And then they, they show a shot of the Dispatcher killing their kid or something, or you know, we we already saw that cops were being overrun at the school, so they easily could have done something with that, you know, taking ten yeah, like ten I, seconds. I don't think,
0: yeah, I don't think calling nine one one would actually do anything in that situation because every parent in the country is trying to murder their kids, so you know, the the nine one one dispatch is going to be dealing with you know a bazillion calls all at once, so they're nobody's going to come help you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't know why they just didn't, you know, deal with that. Or they could have done some other clever thing, you know, with um her cell phone getting broken or something. I mean those are pretty cliche, but still. You know, they, they could have done a million different ways with it. Um one other kind of interesting thing I thought was was funny with this film was they tried to set up a couple of like really possible gory scenes and then they never, and then it's just part of the joke. Hmm. Um, I'm thinking of a couple. One is where the, the son hits Nicolas Cage in the head with a ball. Mm -hmm. And the, the film kind of like freaks out. Like Nick Cage is going to like, and we know that parents have started killing their kids. At that point, and we think, like, oh shit, is this the moment? <laughs> and mm-hmm. then he's just like, uh, if you want to see like the age of 10 or something, or I don't know what he says, but it's just a joke, you know, like he's just joking with his kid.
0: Yeah, I think he says like age 10 is not guaranteed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then there's a moment where that idiot friend um, puts her hand into the blender. Hmm, yeah and the music gets all tense but then nothing happens you know um and i feel like that's kind of as close as this movie gets to like a jump scare it's it's yeah it's basically it's like pretty outright you know most of it
0: yeah that's a good point i i do i did enjoy that there was a good deal of restraint with um not having jump scares those those moments that you alluded to did feel like I thought the first one that was fine with the throwing the ball at him Um, it's building character at the same time but the thing with the blender was kind of pointless and it did feel a little more like okay we've gone another whatever five or ten minutes without anything scary happening so we need to have something here to like increase the tension a little bit, even though like, yeah, that makes no sense.
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean, that character truly did seem pretty dumb, uh, as opposed to the daughter. Um, but, but I just, I didn't
0: get what we were supposed to be afraid of exactly right there. Like that the, the blender would suddenly turn or on the mom
1: would come and turn it on. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't make sense if she did you
0: know yeah like the mom's like nowhere around yeah
1: I mean all all it did was show see I don't know maybe they should have just said something like it's still cold or something or you know there's it's still icy or my mom's home you know like she didn't say anything but that's the moment she knew her mom was home
0: yeah but that is kind of like that's Chekhov's blender there right like somebody's hand should go in that blender at some point in the film uh or else why do they show it yeah. um so i'm not sure i'm not sure it's like in they say in uh this is spinal tap there's a fine line between clever and stupid i'm not sure whether that's clever or stupid that they that they don't have anything happen with the blender is it smart like they subverted our expectations by making us expect that to happen and then they didn't go with it or is it kind of dumb because like it's it's just there for no reason
1: yeah and i I think that that's kind of one of the just kind of my overall sort of critique of the film is that it seems like i don't know if they just kind of had written a little bit like tighter of a script it could have been like even better i think you know close some of those those holes follow up on some of the things that they set up you know um which probably would have been great um but yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're being pretty harsh. I don't know what they were aiming for in that movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's just supposed to be like a fun movie. Yeah, there could be layers of meaning that we're totally missing. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like it's, it's, it's definitely as clever as it needs to be. Um, and it's a fun movie. But yeah, there are points where I think it could definitely um do things that are a little more clever like there are places where it would be cool to surprise the audience a little more but definitely the um for me i guess the high point of the film was the the grandparents (laughs) showing up like that's something i I did not expect that to be the person who was at the door. And then when it is, it's like, oh, this is perfect, right? <laughs> like, they're all crying. all everyone's trying to kill each other now.
1: Yeah, I totally...
0: It's that ramping up that you really want.
1: Yeah, I don't know, like, what... I just kind of thought it was a fun film, you know? In general, I don't really like horror films. Um... Not that they're bad. I, I totally kind of... I totally value, like, the cinematic um, value of of the sort of horror genre. And I really like how so many horror films are actually, you know, kind of critiquing some part of society or in a way or exposing some sort of... Um, you know, issues that are happening in in America. Um, But I feel like that's one thing where I wish this kind of film would have done. This had some sort of larger, you know, reason. I don't know. I guess that's just me because that would have just kind of elevated it a little bit and made it not just like, this is just going to be a crazy movie where parents kill their kids. And, um... There's no real reason for it. There's no... I
0: guess my take would be it's like a satire of the Hollywood family comedy.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. But I guess that that's not like, really like an overarching critique of any part of American society. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty hollow. And, and I
0: think it, it could have gone farther in in that direction too. Like there could have been a little more Pointed critique of certain things like we were talking about earlier like the stereotyping of people by things like race right um the movie just kind of like follows a lot of those same patterns and um i didn't feel like it had a a point yeah
1: no purpose to that to doing that you know horror comedy is just sort of one of my favorite genres of film like whether it's evil dead or drag me to hell gremlins um i don't know i just kind of like that idea of um having fun while sometimes violent or crazy stuff is happening around you because i think it Mm. it sort of makes it i don't know it's just kind of creative and it's kind of i guess i hate to say this but it kind of just like subverts expectations of, of what horror is you know it kind of helps to uh, redefine and nuance that genre a little bit. Um
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean a lot of the best horror comedies are satirizing the horror genre itself, like Scream.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um But I guess it just it just depends how you how you take the films. Like And I think that so many horror films have the problem of sort of selling themselves. You know, And you can kind of tell with this one, like a lot of people have never heard of it. And it, it totally sucked ass at the box office. I looked at that. Um, I think it made like a couple hundred thousand and it cost them six million or something. Wow. Yeah. So, the, I mean, <laughs> it was a huge flop, right? There's no other way to describe it. And I think I, I remember really clearly in high school, or I don't know when it was, but a bunch of us went to see Drag Me to Hell in the theaters and you know if you look go back and look at the trailer of some of these horror comedies and they try to sell themselves as horror films and people go in expecting you know Texas Chainsaw or The Conjuring or you know whatever the hell else and they don't really know what to make of horror comedy.
0: I 100% agree with that, that like non-traditional horror movies have a really tough time in the modern box office, which I mean, I guess may not even exist anymore. Like who knows if theaters are going to come back or not, but they, they did have a hard time in the modern box office. I think, yeah, because I, I don't know. I want to say for a lot, for some of these movies, I think audiences would enjoy them. If they could be persuaded to see them but people haven't figured out how to market them as you're as you're saying Um, I can think of an example where I really didn't want to see something because of the marketing and then I saw it and I was like wait like this is actually good Um, this is I'm dating myself here this is like quite a while back but the movie splice from I think it was like 2007 or 2009 something like that was it had a trailer that in my memory was just awful. It was just like it looked like a complete alien ripoff. The whole trailer was people walking around in dark rooms with flashlights, shining them all over the place, and then rah, a monster jumped out. So it looked like just like the most generic, boring alien monster or you know, mutant monster attacks people in a dark room movie. But I ended up seeing it just because you know, those are the days when I worked in the movie theater and I was young and I had nothing better to do. So I watched like every movie that came out almost. And I actually watched the movie Splice and it's like, I won't say it's like a masterpiece or anything, but it's not at all like what the trailer made it out to be. It's like, it's about these scientists who create essentially like a, a hybrid human animal creature secretly. Um, and they raise it as their child And they have this like really, I mean, it's like extremely unethical and like weird and fucked up family dynamic, um, with this thing that they grow and, and that is essentially a child, but it's, it's a monster and, um, it's like a pretty good movie and it's like really weird and messed up and it doesn't have jump scares. It doesn't have the kind of stuff that the trailer advertised but they i just feel like they didn't know how to sell a movie that's about a weird fucked up family with a mutant (laughs) child um they had to turn it into oh things will jump out at you don't worry
1: right like this movie we just watched like you could mom and dad like i guess that's a horror film what if they just went a different way and they're like it's just a comedy Mm -hmm. i don't know
0: That would be, you know, that would be, I kind of have a, uh, there's a part of me that like really wants somebody to pull like a big prank on the movie going public at some point where they do something like this. Like the, what if they marketed mom and dad as a family comedy, bring your kids kind of thing and hid the the actual premise of the movie until it, it opened. Like that would be, that would be pretty amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm trying to think of other comedies that that are kind of like that, but there really isn't. Um,
0: well, I said Krampus. I think Krampus actually is another movie that bombed at the box office, so a similar thing. Okay. Well, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. Um, it was uh, fun having you uh, on the podcast, lesson. Uh and. Uh, For next time, I will say again, we're doing Sleepy Hollow. And uh, thanks to our listeners for, uh, you know, not getting mad that we didn't do that this time. (laughs) And uh,
1: see ya. See ya.